before I start on, on the sermon today, uh, two, two things to say as part of sort of announcements, if you like. The first is, welcome back, Bry. It's good to see you. For those of you who don't know, uh, Bry is our associate pastor. He's been on parental leave. Is that what they called it? Parental leave. I'm sure you're glad to be back in work with three kids there looking up. We missed you. We're glad that you had a good time and we look forward to seeing the smallest of your family as time goes on. Welcome back. And then, yes, you can clap, you can clap. And then, as I said in East Wind this week, it is a time, was a time of saying goodbye to Aaron, our worship leader, interim worship leader. And this week I had a, uh, an email uh, from him as you know, those of you who get the East Wind, if you don't, make sure you see Sandy. Know how much we've appreciated him here in the church. Downstairs, the, the, the band are celebrating his going sort of thing today in that sense. Well, we had to cancel that celebration of his going and change it to a celebration of his staying. We've met as elders, we've spoken as, as well to Aaron, and Aaron does feel... Uh, for this time he should stay on and I've got no problem with that. Many of us have been a bit annoyed that he hasn't seen this for some time, all right? But it, it is really a joy to have him, especially during these harder times as we are building the church back, you know? This is now a church plant. We've been through two years and it's going to come out a different church at the end. And I hope it's going to come out a better church. We've seen people grow during this time. We've seen teams come together during this time. So welcome back to the team. Welcome on to the team, my friend. And uh, we look forward to serving the Lord Jesus Christ together as we replant East Baptist Church. May the spring come. Amen. Amen. Today, again, we're dealing with key Christian doctrine. I'm aware that uh, most of you know that I'm going through the confession, the church confession of faith, which is a summary, a very simple summary of Christian teaching as a church. We believe certain things. We don't put everything down there. But we've got certain belief systems. These days you can ask people, what do you believe? Well, I believe this. I'm not sure. I, you know, I, that, that's not us. We have certain things that we believe, that we believe God has revealed in the scripture. I've always loved Augustine's confessions. Parts of it I hate, parts of it I love. It's a love-hate relationship with Augustine. And in his confessions, this is the love part, in the first book of his confessions, at the end of his first book, he says this because the confessions are written as a prayer to God. That's why they're called confessions. One of the first spiritual autobiographies ever. Listen to what he says. You, my God... Are supreme. 
utmost in goodness, mightiest and all-powerful, most merciful and most just. You are the most hidden from us, and yet the most present amongst us. Ever enduring, and yet we cannot comprehend you. You are my God, my life, my holy delight. But is this enough to say of you? Can any man say enough when he speaks of you? Yet woe betide those who say nothing about you. And this morning, we're going to say something about him. We must say something about the God we worship. We don't fully understand everything in the Bible. We recognise the place of mystery in faith. We understand that questions need to be asked time and time again for clarification. Discussions are to be had. But we're going to say something. We are going to declare what God has said. And today, we're going to say something about the cross of Christ or the death of Christ. This is totally central. To the New Testament teaching. Take Paul writing to the Corinthians. He says this, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Crucified. Nothing else practically does say other things, but the emphasis is going to be on the cross. He goes on, verse 18, chapter 1, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Again, in another statement in Galatians, may I never boast in what? Except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, What you get from those verses is that Paul emphasised the death of Christ and the cross. Is that fair? I'm not reading that in. They're extreme statements of the importance of the death of Christ in Christian theology. Jesus himself continually goes on about his death. He speaks about his hour in the Gospel of John especially, his departure His arrest and death go into chapters, long chapters. He calls his disciples to carry the cross as he did. So what is the meaning of the cross? There's much disagreement, even among Christians of different denominations, as to its significance. So today, I'm going to start with some basic agreement among most Christians about Jesus, okay? Most liberal Christians, all sorts of Christians. Here, most of us agree on this part. There'll be some disagreement on the next two talks. But on this, we'll all agree. Today, I'm going to speak of the cross as example. The cross as example. Jesus spoke constantly about his death. And he uses his death as an example for his disciples. Listen to him, Matthew. 
Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you're a disciple, you too must follow my example in carrying the cross, which is a call to dying to self. But Jesus is the example. The author to the Hebrews uh, puts it like this in a great verse. You could, you could preach on this. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. And then listen to the example. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him. He is our example. We are to be made, we are to follow in the image of Jesus. He is our framework of reference to life. He is an example to inspire us. The cross is an example of self-denial in our life, of obedience even, under persecution. Forgive me that I go on about my favourite books every now and again, but I say it gently because I'm going to do it whatever you say. I'm sorry about that. And uh, Until you all buy them and read them and, and talk to me about them. And one of the great devotional works, as I've said timeless times from this pulpit, is Thomas Akempis's Imitation of Christ. And his passage in Book 2, Chapter 11, is one of my favourite passages in the whole Imitation. It was written in the 15th century, just some time before the Protestant Reformation. Listen to what he says. I, I think this is one of the great, I would put this in one of the great ten quotations in Christian literature. Jesus has always many who love his heavenly kingdom, but few who bear his cross. He has many who desire consolation, but few who care for trial. He finds many to share his table, but few to take part in his fasting. All desire to be happy with him. Few wish to suffer anything for him. Many follow him to the breaking of bread, but few to the drinking of the chalice of his passion. Many revere his miracles. Few approach the shame of the cross. Many love him as long as they encounter no hardship. Many praise and bless him as long as they receive some comfort from him. You see what he's getting. He's challenging his readers that we are to be imitators of Christ even when it comes to the cross. Christianity at times hurts. To pick up the cross is no fun. There is a battle going on. Now, we can say up to this point, most Christians would agree with that. Your most liberal denomination maybe say, yeah, Jesus is our example. We could go even further. And we could say that um, even non-Christian religions might say the same about Jesus. Take Gandhi, for instance, who said this. If Christians would really live according to the teachings of Christ, as found in the Bible, all of India would be Christian today. 
In other words, he took, he took Jesus seriously, but was disappointed by the church. He saw that the, the Christians of India, and he saw, of course, the British, uh, British Empire, not following, not following the teachings of Christ as Christ himself was. And there is clear teaching of Jesus himself and of Paul that we should be imitators of Christ. I quote from the reading that we had uh, in the beginning from chapter 2 of Philippians. And it's an old hymn. It's probably, I've got to say probably, probably the oldest hymn in the New Testament. We don't know if it was written by Paul. Was Paul quoting the hymn that was already being sung or was he composing it? I can't tell you the answer to that, but it's really early. This is 60 AD when it's written. And the whole hymn is about Jesus and how our attitude, verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. What is that attitude? He considers Jesus' his humility, his servant nature, his obedience, even to the death on the cross. In other words, Jesus is our model. He is our example. Now, I've got lots of Christian heroes. I've got lots of non-Christian heroes, but I've got a lot of Christian heroes. But our primary model for life is our attitude to Christ. He is our primary model. We are primarily to be imitators of him. And that's why we need to... <coughs> pardon me. We need to read the gospel narrative on a regular basis. Sometimes evangelicals tend to, tend to put apart the, the natural life of Jesus. That's not that we should. We should put it central because we're imitators. Now, I'm not against having Christian heroes. I'm not against having Christian heroes who themselves are imitating Christ so that we can imitate them. I'm going to indulge. I'm sorry. I'm going to indulge. Let me share with you some of my favourites. The 12th century saw Francis of Assisi, who in the 12th and 13th century changed the face of medieval Christendom. I love the first book written about him, the Fioretti, or the Little Flowers of St Francis, written just after his death. But the amazing thing, I could talk all day just about St. Francis, but the amazing thing is this. That his whole gospel, his whole Franciscan order that he started in the early 13th century, is based on three verses. <laughs> That's it. You know, there's no huge confession of faith. Because just three verses, here they are. Matthew 19, 21. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. St. Francis said, right, that's the first one. That's I'm going to live like that. Second one, Matthew 10, 10. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff. Okay, I'll do that. Third, Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's what I'm going to live. And he did. He did. He lived his whole life 
and the Franciscan order uh, grew from that and then uh, the, uh, the, the order of uh, Franciscan's uh, woman's order at the same time. He was an imitation, a literal here, imitation of Christ. Another great hero of mine is Jim Elliot, the husband of Elizabeth Elliot. He sought to reach a lost tribe in the Ecuadorian jungle with his friends. They were martyred. The movie, of course, is called The End of the Spear. How many of you have seen the movie, End of the Spear? A few of you. It's worth seeing. It's a good movie. But there's also a very good early documentary that speaks about it. And as I read his diaries, and I love his diaries, because his diaries speak about the, really the, the challenge of the gospel and how he is seeking to imitate Christ. His famous quotation is this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Whoa! One of his prayers that I prayed many a time, Lord, deliver me from the dread asbestos of material things. I love that. The dread asbestos. In other words, it doesn't burn. It doesn't burn. Another hero of mine is Count Zinzendorf, 18th century German. He founded the Moravian movement called the Herrnhut Community. It was a huge Protestant movement, a huge movement of overseas evangelism. Went to Europe, West Indies, uh, South and North America. They were a huge influence on the Wesley brothers, Charles and John. I'm always fascinated by his conversion. Again, I could speak endlessly about this guy. I really like this guy. He was looking at a piece of art. Ecce Homo by Domenica Fetti, 17th century. There's the piece of art. He saw it. And you won't be able to read it uh, at the bottom there, but what that says in Latin, and I don't know Latin, okay? I did it for five years and I can't read it. Would you believe that? Was that a waste? I'm not sure. Anyway. But I've got other people. I've got Google Translate now, anyway, so I'm all right. And uh, these words touched him. You hear the words? This I have suffered for you. Now what will you do for me? This I have suffered for you. What will you do for me? And that hit him gave his life more fully to the Lord in obedience to him and following his example. By the way, the hymnist Francis Ridley Havergill in 1858 uh, saw this painting and wrote to him about it and uh, that's interesting. And then there's Harriet Tubman. Oh! Anyone seen the new movie? Harriet Oh, one. Is it any good? I haven't seen the new movie, okay? But I have seen the old movie. I watched the old movie the other day. Um, and, oh, it was great. And I've read, I've read a lot of her memoirs. And she was involved in the Underground Railroad. She was a slave, an escaped slave. She was badly beaten by her master. And throughout her life, she suffered fainting spells and things because I must have threw something at her. 
but she saved something, I, I should have written down how many uh, people, something like 300 people out of slavery. She would go down from the north where she'd escaped to and come down and take slaves with her on the Underground Railroad back to the north. She is a character, I tell you. She's magnificent, absolutely magnificent. She, she said a number of things, okay, and uh, she said once, she said once, that's right, the, you know, it was the Lord with, what she did was seeking to give freedom to people. I quote, Twaunt me, twas the Lord. I always told him I trust to you. I don't know where to go or what to do, but you expect, but I expect you to lead me. And he always did. She sought to imitate Christ, but also to have that Christ lead her in the work she was called to do. She said, I'm the conductor of the Underground Railway, and I have never lost a passenger. That's it. I'm a conductor of the Underground Railway, and I never lost a passenger. I read you, and the movie is a good movie worth seeing. Okay, I'm just checking with that there. Because sometimes you can say something about a movie and they go and see it and then there's something in it. Ah! You know, and I didn't have time uh, to actually um, do it. And then, excuse, I'm enjoying myself, okay? You, you can sleep, you can do what you like. I'm enjoying talking with these people. I get inspired by them. Corrie Ten Boom. Now, most of us have heard of Corrie Ten Boom. Again, the movie's available. I think it's available on Amazon Prime, for instance. Yes, it is. Amazon Prime. The Hiding Place. The book, The Hiding Place, as well. I watched a documentary on Amazon Prime called Corrie Ten Boom, Undefeated Faith. I was sitting there in my study at home in tears as I heard her speak. It was magnificent. If you want a great documentary, you've got Amazon Prime, watch Corrie Ten Boom, Undefeated Faith. Wow! Wow! I won't go into the whole story, but she was saving Jews from the Nazis. And she was caught. Whole family was caught. And her and her sister Bessie end up in Ravensbrück concentration camp. A particularly brutal place. And when they entered this concentration camp, they had to strip naked in front of the guards. Now, these were women in their 50s. And I quote from her talk. She's got a wonderful Dutch accent, as you'd expect. The first time was the worst. I'd never felt so humbled, so miserable, so cold. When I stood there and Betsy, my sister, stood beside me, I said, Betsy, I cannot bear this. This is terrible. And I thought that I could break under the burden of suffering. And then suddenly, suddenly it was I saw Jesus at the cross and the Bible says they took his garments. He hung there naked. He too 
His clothes were taken away. He suffered. And she was inspired by the example of her Lord. There are great stories about her. I'm, I'm falling to temptation and giving one more. She had a small Bible in the camp. And she was moved from one camp to another. And of course she'd be searched. Tiny Bible. So she sewed it in to her um, dress. And she was coming and the guards were checking. If she was caught, she'd be in trouble. And here's the prayer she prayed. Lord, you made the blind see. Now, Lord, make the seeing blind. <laughs> the guards got distracted and she walked through. I just love that. I love that. I love the fact, a great story about... Um, she was complaining about lice because the place was full of lice. Her, her dorm or whatever you call it was full of lice. And Betsy, oh, at that time, she was, and she didn't make it out of the camp. She was the spiritual one sort of thing. And Betsy said, you should rejoice in all things. And she said, how can I rejoice in lice? How can I rejoice in lice and dead bugs? And she said, I'll tell you how you can rejoice. Because the guards don't come in here. Because there's too many lice here. And we get freedom. So thank God for lice. Oh, man. Man, powerful. Listen to this. Great quotation. And do you know, we could apply this to ourselves during this pandemic and everything we've been through. If you look at the world, that includes the news at the moment, you will be distressed. And if you just look at your news, whatever news you follow, you're going to be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. Oh. Isn't that classy? Isn't that rich? And she knew what she was talking about. She knew and experienced what she was talking about. These people followed Christ's example. Listen to Paul, 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. It's okay to have heroes who also follow Christ. 1 Peter 2, 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his stress, in his steps. The cross clearly is an example. But as we shall see in the next two weeks, the cross is more than that. It's also a sacrifice. And next week, we'll be looking at the cross as victory. Christus victor. We'll be looking at that. You see, it's not one instead of the other. You don't say, well, Christ is a sacrifice, so he can't be an example. They're all true. All true. And they're all rich. And I pray that in these three weeks of looking at the cross, that we will be inspired more and more to be followers of the Son of God himself, who made himself known to us so that we can say something about him. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of your Son. Help us not tone him down for our own comfort. In Jesus' name, Amen.